CBDCs, central bank digital currencies, they are coming and they are going to take your freedoms away. They are a potentially extremely bad idea for you and for me. Let's talk about those and go there now. This is Chris Martinson with you from Peak Prosperity. This is episode 108. That's uh, 108 episodes on top of all the COVID coverage that I've been bringing to you. And my interest is, look, I obviously have a very wide ranging point of view and lots of things I like to look at because I'm a systems level thinker. I like to see how the pieces fit together. Economy, health, energy, environment, they all fit together to me at a systems level. So when you understand things at that level, I think you have a chance of understanding what's happening and why. And that's what I want to share with you. And that's the work I do at Peak Prosperity every single day. <laughs> I've been doing it for like 15 years. This is who I am and what I do. So this is really, it's the end of money as we know it. That's really what's on the table here. And so you have to understand some things about central bank digital currencies, what they are, what they can be, and what they probably will be. So let's go there now. And uh, here's here's one of my favorite purveyors of bad data and bad information. Janet Yellen, boy, she is coming up with a lot of bad ideas all the time. If you want to see a, a just a prime example of incompetence failing upwards, Janet's your gal. Um, I really despised what she did at the central banks, uh, Federal Reserve. And now this, she says, hey, as the uh, Treasury Secretary says, hey, there are important advantages and disadvantages to a CBDC that must be carefully considered before moving. But it may be something, maybe something that is in the future for Americans. Yeah, that means it's coming. And the whole thing, there's uh, has to be carefully considered means, listen, we're just doing this anyway. And uh, has advantages and disadvantages. Well, listen, again, this is going to be like normal. They don't care what you think. And they're not going to like, even if even if they did poll Americans and find out that most people were against them and they wanted them anyway, you're getting central bank digital, cur digital currencies. That's how this whole operation works. Um, so Kanakoa the Great does a great job on the Substack. There's the Substack down at the bottom, kanakoa.substack.com. He's got a piece on central banks. I think this came out in September of last year, um, so it's already gone further than this. But we should have serious debate about this, about what's actually happening with these central bank digital currencies, but they are already moving ahead really, really quickly. He writes here, 114 countries representing over 95% of global GDP are exploring a CBDC. 11 countries have fully launched a digital currency. All G7 economies are in the development stage of a CBDC. And 18 of the G20 countries are in the advanced stages already of CBDC, CBDC development. Here's the critical part. CBDCs can be programmed to be activated on a certain date, programmed to expire on a certain date, programmed to be only valid for certain purchases and ominously programmed to be only available to citizens who meet certain preconditions. Sound hyperbolic? Well, that's already truth in China. And we know that lots of great leaders like Justin Trudeau really admire what China is up to. China obviously has an advanced social credit system, advanced social credit score. It's tied in with the money. It's tied in with your daily life, your electronic thing, the phone you carry around with you, it's all welded together. And there are a lot of very envious Davos, WEF, Western leaders now who also want that level of control and power over their citizens. So this is really important. 
They're programmable. A central bank digital currency or any digital currency is programmable. You can tell it things, right? That's a big deal. So if you can, well, let's explore this idea further. Let's go down a little bit further. He continues writing here, quote, central banks can thus influence and control the behavior of the recipients of this centralized digital currency, as well as exclude those who they want to penalize from participating in the financial system. Every doctor you visit, every meal you eat, every trip you take, every purchase you make, and every dollar you own will be tracked in real time by your government for the rest of your life. Without global awareness, central banks will pull off the greatest violation of human rights we have ever seen, and citizens will cheer them on while they do it. End quote. There it is, in a nutshell, perfectly captured. Well done, Kanakoa, on this one. I mean, that's just, there it is. That's all you need to know. This deserves serious debate. Is there any serious debate? No, of course not. That's not how things work anymore. Even if there was, we know this. They've run poll, they've, the data's been run and assembled. If 90% of Americans are against something, that has zero impact. There's a flatline relationship between how many people want or don't want something in America and whether that thing gets passed is law. However, there's a very nice relationship between what corporations and lobbyists want and what becomes law. So who would be lobbying for a central bank digital currency? Well, obviously, every toady, sycophant, um, any power grabbing, money, hung, money grabbing sort of despot wannabe people who believe in enforcing ideology, people who'd want to punish you for not thinking the right things or not thinking them fervently enough, right? Ah, citizen, I don't think you're quite, you know, as, as far down this path of desiring social change as we are. So we're going to punish you. That's what's on the table. So this deserves serious consideration. Now, what's going to happen if we don't get that serious consideration? Well, anyway, look, <clears throat> first up, when, when you go and search for an image of a digital currency, they always, they always throw you these things, which is ironic, right? Because they show you a picture of a hard gold or silver coin, which has actual money qualities and is truly actually money. But anyway, that's what you get. You get pictures that look like this. Um, the reason is, is that they know that a, a digital currency is fundamentally, what is it? Well, it's a bunch of ones and zeros on a hard disk somewhere. What is it? It's it's a um, uh, it's just a representation. It's an agreement between people. It, it's something that could go away in the flash of an EMP or a coronal mass ejection or something else that seriously compromises the electricity grid. Your digital currencies are going to be completely useless unless the electricity is flowing. So think about this in the context of South Africa right now, which is struggling through prolonged multi-hour per day rolling blackouts across the whole country at this point in time, as I understand it. So I guess that would mean during those, you know, dark town times when, you know, dark times, those downtimes for the grid, you wouldn't be able to buy anything or do anything or conduct any trade if you were on a digital currency system. So at any rate, that's how they promote them. Now, I've been talking about these for a while, and this is one of the things I noted here. This is from um, the is June 21st, 2021, interesting article in the Telegraph and the Bank of England, the Bank of England as their central bank tells the ministers, the politicians to intervene on digital currency programming. Like, well, why? Tom Mutton, a director at the Bank of England said during a conference on Monday that programming 
could become a key feature of could become could will become a key feature of any future central bank digital currency in which the money would be programmed to be released only when something happened. He said you could introduce programmability. What happens if one of the participants in a transaction puts a restriction on a future use of that money? Then it's not money. There could be some socially beneficial outcomes from that, say, preventing activity, which is seen to be socially harmful in some way. But at the same time, it could, gener- it could be a restriction on people's freedoms. End quote. No, no, Tom, not it could be a restriction on people's freedoms. It will be the largest, most crushing destruction of individual rights, liberties, and freedoms ever seen. Money is a central human construct. It's how we organize ourselves. If you don't want to go back to the barter system, you need money. Money is critical. To put that level of control at a distance through bureaucratic diktat. Notice what he said here. Uh, There could be some socially beneficial outcomes, you know, preventing activity, which is seen to be socially harmful. Well, as we've all seen of late, what was thought to be like, let's imagine, let's just go back two years ago. It could have been seen to be socially harmful if you weren't wearing your mask appropriately. Camera on the street sees you with your mask down below your nose. Uh Oh, your digital currency gets turned off because the facial recognition technology identifies that it's you. That was socially harmful activity. Oops. Two years later, it's discovered that that wasn't actually socially harmful, but the people in charge thought it was or pretended it was. Whatever the story is, we all know how this can go. If anything, coming out of COVID and the draconian, authoritarian instincts, responses, and overwhelming just crushingness of the media and and the bureaucrats coming together to destroy freedoms tells me everything I need to know about how a digital currency is going to actually be operated by the keepers of the system. So, um, going down here then, let's see. Um, yeah, this one. So this is carrying on in that same article in yellow quote, a digital currency could make payments faster, cheaper, and safer, but also opens up new technological possibilities, including programming. Okay. Effectively allowing a party in the transaction, such as the state or an employer to control how the money is spent by the recipient. End quote. An employer. Imagine that. Imagine your employer says, hey, look, Chris, you know, we, we, uh, we've been examining um, your purchases lately through your uh, Amazon downloads and also through your local uh, shopping at the food store. And we've decided that, that you, you, you eat too many peanuts and peanuts are, are, have a bad ESG score. They, they, they emit 0.03% more carbon than um, walnuts. So, so your money, we've programmed your money very helpfully to increase our company's ESG score. So from now on, you can only buy walnuts. It won't work for, won't work for peanuts. What a mess, right? I mean, that's where we're going with this. Carrying on in green, quote, one potential use could be control over benefits payments, said Sandra Rowe, chief executive of the Global Blockchain Business Council. She compared a programmed digital currency to the U.S. system of paying benefits in vouchers as it could have a similar goal of restricting the recipient to buying only essentials such as food with the money. A treasury spokesman said programmability is a potential feature of a central bank digital currency, end quote. So they're saying, hey, listen, this is a political conversation, not an actual monetary conversation. The central bank should never be driving this conversation. It should never be up to a bank 
to determine something with such gigantic social consequences, excuse me, as programmability. That is a political conversation. It has to have a complete political and truly actually democratic process for discovery and discussion and debate. Now, truly democratic would mean the will of the people, which would mean that you can't have this thing where 90% of the people say, you know, I really don't want this programmability. I don't want this complete oversight by a nanny state. I don't want it. And it still happens because that's not democracy. Demos, people, right? Democracy, rule of the people. When the people don't actually have a say in what actually happens, then it's not democracy. All right. But we do need to have this larger debate about what's happening here. So now what's happening is we're seeing an absolute flood of central bank digital currencies coming out all at once. It's happening very, very rapidly. We're seeing huge changes, geopolitical realignments around what's happening with China and the petrodollar. There's all kinds of things happening. So if you feel a little overwhelmed, you have my sympathy. It is a little overwhelming right now. There are just too many things happening all at once. This could be by design. Now, it is this gentleman here, Henry Kissinger, who wrote his uh, PhD thesis and talked a lot about how revolutions happen. And he met, he had a really good point. He said, listen, when revolutions are successful, what happens is the people who are bringing the revolution, they move so rapidly that the keepers of the status quo, the people who are there um, keeping the old system that's about to be replaced – they're so busy reacting to these insults and assaults on the way things used to work that they don't have time to catch up. And by the time they've caught up to thing one you've done, you hopefully you're on thing five as a revolutionary. And this is an idea he had because he studied how these things failed or succeeded. And you want to know how these things fail or succeed, right? So, you know, if you're going to create an orange color revolution in Ukraine in 2004, how would that actually succeed, right? So obviously, there's a lot of interest in how you push something like this forward. I've studied them. And so, look, anytime I see things happening that are happening too fast to absorb or digest by even, you know, super fast adjusters, I'm one, you know that there's that this is probably a strategy that somebody's pushing forward. It's the blitzkrieg. Right. It's when you're just overwhelmed with marketing from all different channels all at once, trying to push us an enforced and specific message. That's either to get that message adopted or it's to keep you confused and, and disturbed and upset about this thing while these are the things actually happening. So the pace at which we're watching the sudden de-dollarization and the pace at which we're watching the sudden pushing out and rolling out of digital currencies with practically no public input tells me that we're under some sort of a Kissingeronian um, plan at this point in time. And by the way, just to be just, yeah, you know what, that just any resemblance that you might see there purely coincidental. Now, uh, so what is this assault that I'm talking about? Whoa, <laughs> IMF just to introduce the unicorn, get it, unicorn, just <laughs> introduce the unicorn on April 10th, uh, International Monetary Fund Spring Meetings 2023, the Digital Currency Monetary Authority announced their official launch of an international central bank digital currency. This is um, the IMF. And of course, of course, of course, it's just there to help 
speed payments up. Make them a little bit faster. Settle cross-border things a little bit more quickly. I am not averse to those ideas, but you and I both know that when they just tell you about those things, they don't tell you what kind of programmability they're also including in this. You're being fed a load of shit, right? So they talk about all these wonderful things that could happen, but they don't talk about the possible downsides or the intrusions into loss of liberty, privacy, fundamental rights, freedoms, things like that. They're not talking about it, which means obviously they're trying to gloss over that and just skip forward. So that's a big deal. The IMF is like, hey, we got one. How about this? The Bank of International Settlements, BIS, has Project Icebreaker. Uh, and now they're going to use domestic retail CBDCs for cross-border payments. Again, going on, what a wonderful thing to have cross-border payments be faster, smoother, all that. Sure. Um, but how have they gone about making sure that these things are not programmable in a way that could be used by tyrants now or later to really severely just stomp all over citizens' rights? Of course, they don't really go into that. So that's happening. So that's the IMF, the BIS, and oh, okay, uh, Bank of Israel is in the process of preparing an action plan for the potential issuance of a digital shekel known as the Bank of Israel Central Bank Digital Currency. So that's happening. The digital shekel stablecoin. And of course, again, with the requisite picture of a gold physical Bitcoin. Uh, not sure what that has to do with anything here, but the gold coin tells you. Solid. Stablecoin. See what they're going after here? So uh, that's happening. So that's on April 17th. Look at the Look at the pace of all this, right? April 16th, April 17th. We got this coming out in, in the 6th of March. All of that's happening and, and more. So we also have the Fed Now initiative, which is the same sort of an idea. Hey, we're just trying to make things a little smoother, a little faster. It's not a central bank digital currency, but it make, paves the way for one, right? Again, without, as far as I'm aware, any open, rigorous public debate about whether this is a good idea, a bad idea, what we would accept, what we would not accept. They don't care. They're going to do what they want to do. Now, Obviously, you know, I get back here, uh, Kanakoa, again, putting it very, very well. Just imagine these CBDC scenarios. Just imagine, if you will. You surpassed your weekly carbon limit. Purchase denied. You spoke up against masking children. Purchase denied. You traveled outside your quarantine zone, citizen. Purchase denied. All of this and more would be possible because CBDCs are programmable. That's the one key thing I want you to get the in through from this particular episode is that CBDCs are programmable and they can be programmed to do anything. And that sort of a power will not just be left sitting on the table unused by the bureaucrats, technocrats, and political people we have in power today. They've shown that over and over again. Not only can you not trust them, you can trust that you can't trust them. Guaranteed, right? We know that. So the fact that they don't really want to talk about what's actually happening on the privacy, freedom, security front tells me that they already have plans for how they want to utilize this stuff. Trust me, there's 500 deck PowerPoint slides already prepared around this stuff, all for your best uh, interest, citizen. All right. Um, but this has already happened, right? These kinds of things, these intrusions have already happened. How we know that uh, Elon Musk was just recently on Tucker Carlson and he said various government agencies effectively, effectively had full access to everything that was going on in Twitter, including people's direct messages, the DMs. 
did not, and I'm willing to bet that not only did the government have access, but I'll bet the pharma companies had access because we watched the censorship. We watched people get crushed. I was in the middle of that. It happened to me, right? This kind of stuff. We saw this stuff happening all the time to people who were out there attempting doctors with, with extraordinary pedigrees, just trying to say, hey, here's what I'm seeing and what works. And my patients can't do that because it ran against the interests of the current powers that be who have the, the levers of power in their hands. So we're already living this. We already know that this is a, um, a real thing for us. And we know the power of incentives, right? So a central bank digital currency doesn't have to be a club that says purchase denied. It could just give you a little nudge. So here's nudging, right? This doesn't make any sense to me. The, the COVID-19 vaccine provider incentive program, this is from Anthem, um, Anthem Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Look at this, um, how you can qualify for a bonus. If you got 30% of your members vaccinated, you get a $20 bonus per member. And it stretches all the way up to 75%. If you got 75% of your customers, your clients, your patients, vaccinated, you'd get a $125 bonus for vaccinated member. Hmm. I thought these things were only going to be like, you know, like maybe 20, 30 bucks for a vaccine. How could it possibly be worth paying somebody $125 to administer something that costs less than that? It's a strange incentive program, right? Like to know uh, how they were funding that and, and who made the decision for that. Very interesting, but these incentives matter, right? So you need to understand now you understand, you show me the incentive, I will show you the outcomes. And now that you know that that incentive program is in place, you understand that when your doctor comes and says, I think you should have X, Y, or Z, your next question ought to be, are you getting paid for that? How much are you getting paid for that? Because if you're getting paid for that, it's not actually advice in my best interest necessarily, because now it's conflict of interest or incentivized behaviors or um, data or sorry, or, or a decision set. But look at this. Um, if you get final incentive payment based on members who are newly vaccinated, we got extra bonuses if you can get them in the system. Look at this up to $250 bonus per newly vaccinated member uh, if you get to your 75% threshold. So incentives matter. We know that. So again, a central bank digital currency doesn't have to be a club. It could be, but could it also be a, a thing that nudges you because there's negative incentives and positive incentives. If you do this, bad things happen. If you do this, positive things happen. Those together form the concept of a nudge unit, giving you nudges. Now, I've talked about nudges and in particular relating and pertaining to the COVID psyops that ran. This was about how authorities used COVID for psychological warfare. It's fundamentally about this concept of nudge units, right? These are psychological programming units that are now operating pretty much everywhere. I mean, look at this. Check this out. Uh, obviously, we all know about the UK nudge units, the Australian nudge units, Canadian nudge units. We, we know all about them, but there's a nudge unit in Greece. Georgia College has a nudge unit. What? There's all kinds of books written about this, how small changes can make a big difference. Uh, David Halpern writing here about inside the nudge unit, uh, the behavioral insights teams here. They're, listen, this is a big deal. So how to control and shape human behavior and outcome. I mean, obviously, that could have a, a dark side and a light side, right? The light side could be, you know what? If we could get people to, to exercise more, eat better, and take vitamin D supplementation, this would be positive things. So how could we do that, right? Do we give them the big stick and we tell them that, you know, you can't get insured and you're going to suffer, you know, economic consequences if you don't do these things? Or do we give the, the, the carrot, you know? And um, 
positively reinforce people. So that could be used for good or it could be used for ill. Like I would submit has happened where somehow by nudging over time, our media in the United States has completely lost the ability, the desire, the instinct for actually providing real journalism, following up questions, asking hard questions, asking even questions that are embarrassing or difficult, especially for powerful people who they want to get the story from. And somehow they've lost that. How did that happen? It didn't happen all at once. Nobody just turned a dial, made that happen. It was through repeated exposure and conditioning and habituation and nudging. So the nudge units, very real deal. And so because of that, well, now we have an answer finally. How does this happen? You know, this is from that famous WEF, the Davos uh, video put out in 2016, which went through eight things. This is number one. You'll own nothing and you'll be happy. Now, if you own nothing, and the number two was, you know, you'll just rent whatever you want. Well, if I'm renting it, who's owning it, right? The WEF has this big vision, which says basically the little people own nothing and a very concentrated, powerful few of this financial and rentier class, they own it all. We just rent from them. What a great arrangement, right? All the wealth flows to the top. Of course, they want to set that up. Duh, makes a lot of sense for them, not for you, but, but they put this out. And so people have been asking me for a long time, Chris, how will exactly would they go about having us own nothing? And how are they going to make us be happy about that? How does that happen? What if I don't want to be happy about that? And I would submit to you that the way this happens is currently you're in a state here of saying you own things. You're content with that. But nudge, nudge, eventually you own nothing. Nudge, nudge. And you're happy with that. Right. That's their plan. Their plan isn't to um, put you in the equivalent of a cattle car. That would be too obvious. And they don't have to do that. That's hard work. They will convince you that it's for your own good and you will believe them if they're successful in nudging. So that's how this is going to happen. And that's why I do talk about things like these psychological operations, because if you understand these psyops, then you have some power back in your life. Because until you understand what the game is and how it's being played, until you can see it, it has power over you or more power than it would if you could see it, right? It can still have power, but if you can see it, you have some chance of distancing yourself from it, if not freeing yourself from it entirely. It's called taking the red pill, right? Now, that's what I do with my audience all the time is I train people how to see these things so that you can detect them. Because once you can detect them, they do, they always lose at least some, if not all of their power over you. And then you're free to make your own choices because it might not be that their nudging is actually in your best interests, right? Remember, this happened during COVID over and over again. They nudged people to do things that were fundamentally against their people's best interests and in health, right? Stay indoors, mask up, take these vaccines no matter what your age or, or health status, um, you know, stay away from loved ones, be full of stress and fears. We bombard you with daily death counts and all that other stuff, right? So every one of those things actually worked against public health and individual health. They didn't care. That's what they wanted to do. So listen, if they're nudging us in the right direction, great. You know, I'm along for the ride. But when they're nudging me against something that's in my own best interest, no bueno. So I believe they're starting to nudge us towards this idea that we're going to need central bank digital currencies. And here's why. And they'll do all kinds of positive and negative things to get us there. Now, as I say, information is power. If you want to understand why all of this is happening, you could start here. My book, The Crash Course, talks about 
how you have to see things at the systems level for economy, energy, and environment. And if you put that together, you, I think this explains pretty much everything that's happening. Remember, this is, um, you know, all this stuff, you'll own nothing and be happy. This is all by 2030, right? So what is it about 2030? Why are they so big on this 2030 thing? What is it about 2030? Well, I'll tell you what it is about 2030. If you understand where we are in the energy story, the resource story, if you understand all of this ESG, green energy, alternative energy, you know, we're going to save the environment with electric this and that. If you actually read the chapter on where we are with respect to minerals and how few of them there are relative to these big lofty ESG goals, you realize that story doesn't even pencil out in the slightest. And that becomes powerful when you understand that information. So what do you do about that? Well, information alone is useless unless you can take action. And we're all about making ourselves resilient. If you want to come and join the number one resilience community, I invite you. Please come on by. I want you to join because, well, that helps my company out and helps us persist and do what we do. And mostly because it helps you, right? So to become resilient, help you become resilient. Those are my goals for myself and for you. Everybody should be resilient. So what do we do when we're at peak prosperity? This is, um, we talk all the time about things like here's, this is just from today. I just grabbed a screenshot of what people are talking about in their forums and they're talking about freeze dryers, really cool devices for how you can actually take surplus product products in your life produce and freeze dry it for long-term storage. That's interesting. Obviously, big, robust discussions about teens, young adults. How do they even begin to grow up into this world? I grew up in a very easy time compared to kids growing up today, young people. So that's a big, robust discussion. Parents are weighing in on that, obviously. We, obviously, just for fun, we have an unserious side as well. People are posting memes and jokes and things. Um, that's, a, that's a really popular thread. What, what this net zero really looks like, talking about this ESG thing that's coming along. Why are Americans dying so young, etc. So these are just a few of the forums, just one clip. That's what we're talking about back here at Peak Prosperity. So I would invite you to join. And when it comes to these central bank digital currencies, I think I know why they're going to happen um, by 2030, why they're pushing so hard with these things right now. And it's fundamentally because, well, between here and 2030, resources really tighten up in a very dark, difficult way. And so this is what I'm talking about in part two, back at Peak Prosperity with my members when does the S hit the F? Um, this is something people ask me all the time. And uh, I believe that the answer is, well, around 2025. If we're lucky, we've got till about 2025. Then things get very serious between then and 2030. I know that may sound like it's a long ways off. It's not. It's the blink of an eye, especially when you consider all the things you need to do to become resilient, which is not just it is, but it's a lot more than just storing some food up in your basement and or buying some silver or gold and or, you know, getting some other material goods. It's about your community, your social capital, the skills and knowledge that you have. Most importantly, your emotional capital and how mentally prepared you are to weather the storms and to be stoic when things get a little rough around the edges because, hey, our emotional resilience or lack thereof will make all the difference. doesn't matter how much other stuff you have. And then, of course, the number one thing that we talk about is financial resilience. With financial resilience, with financial freedom, you have the chance to both become more prepared today and be insulated from whatever's coming next. That's just how the system works. So 
I invite you to come by Peak Prosperity if any of those things interest you. Become a member because it'd be a good thing for you to do. All right. With that, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.